morning. Happy Saturday, everyone. Welcome to Unsupervised Leadership. This is episode five, and we have a fantastic female fierce leader on for you today. But before we introduce her and her story, we need to talk about what we're drinking this week because we have a struggle of the week like we always do. And my struggle today and Courtney's struggle as well is what we're drinking because we have realized that we needed to make some changes to our blue moon because they have yet to sponsor us. So that's the first issue. Yeah. (laughs) The second issue is that spring cleaning is happening. We're trying to clear out our closets. I was actually, and I'm starting to look at clothes that I thought this would be a great outfit. And I pull it out and it looks like it would fit like a Barbie doll. So (laughs) we need, but you do mean it's, it's your, your clothing. It is, but I don't know in what realm or universe I was wearing those pants because they would never, they don't, wouldn't even fit on one of my legs right now. So I've also decided that since blue moon is not sponsored us yet, I'm going to take a piece of advice from Dr. Bob Nisharma Lewis. And today I'm drinking a Tito's with some flavored water. And I think this is going to be a good life choice for me, you know, starting today and into the summertime. What do you think, Courtney? Well, we continue to talk about our dieting struggles on the podcast. Obviously the last podcast, I think highlighted a whole lot of my life. And so in honor of you and BSL, instead of drinking blue moon, which I'm not giving up. So I'm still holding out for that sponsorship Mm -hmm. today though. I've switched over. I think you're going to be proud of me. I'm not going with your drink this morning. I'm going with a lower sugar, lighthearted Chardonnay. That's only 80 calories per five ounces. Now the key would be who really just drinks five ounces. Cause that's probably one glass. So right. that might be part of the challenge that I'm going to have with this particular episode, but this is what I'm doing to try to support our, all of our ideas that we're trying to be healthier. And are we getting anything on the unsupervised leadership at yahoo.com email yet about our health and eating habits, anything coming in? So we have not gotten, we have gotten things on the unsupervised email, which we're pleasantly surprised about because as we said in episode one, we were hoping for like seven listeners. And I think at this point in time, we might have like 20. And so, (laughs) which is great. We've we've added a couple, but we do have people writing in to us saying, you know, giving us a little bit of background on their, their journey or their current position in school, um, what they do, what the podcast has helped with, which has been really nice. We have not gotten any emails though, about our health and wellness tips, but we are open to those. So if you're listening, are we I I'm open to a variety of, can you tell me some other drinks that you drink that are good for you? Cause I, <laughs> I feel like I need a variety of things because right. after, after I did my spring cleaning today, I was like, I texted Courtney. I was like, Oh my oh. God, these balloons, I think are catching up to me. I need to do a better job of, you know, getting some variety in my life and making some better health choices. It doesn't mean I'm going to stop drinking. It means I'm going to be more responsible with my choices in drinking so that I don't eat all my calories in my beer. That's what I was wondering. Are we really at a point right now that we are so serious about our weight loss journey that we're willing to say, we're not going to drink. And it like, we're just going for water at this point. I think we can both agree that we aren't there yet, but you also are cutting out carbs. Is this one of your strategies that you're doing here? Cause I, I heard you talk about that earlier. I got really concerned. So <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think it's a 
because the sun is coming out and it's starting to get warmer out. And then you feel like, oh, it's going to be summertime soon. And you have these plans. And we've been in a pandemic for two years now where you can't really do anything. And now I'm like, ooh, okay, I should probably start feeling my best self and not feeling so sluggish and so tired. So I've noticed that when I eat a bunch of carbs, because I have no self-control, zero self-control. So when I'm going to eat a carb, I eat like two boxes of macaroni and cheese, an entire pizza, like a whole bag of Cheez-Its. It's not like the portion control where Courtney says her wine is 80 calories. This is why we're friends though, because I'm the exact, as you know, I can, I can go through the entire bag of Doritos in Mm -hmm. one sitting. We're not talking about the snack bag. Yeah. The big, and that's what I do is I just eat and eat and eat and I love it. And I have zero self-control and I don't even feel bad when I do it. (laughs) It's not until later that I'm like, ew, I just ordered like a medium deep dish pizza from Lou Malnati's, which for everybody listening, a medium pizza from Lou Malnati's is not really medium. It's like an extra small for a person. It is not really a medium. So it's so good. (laughs) I'd love for them to be one of our sponsors too. I love pizza I love cheese and bread. And that's one of the things that we were talking about. Not only were you talking about carbs and you really don't eat bread. Unlike me, you know, I love, I love bread, but you are thinking of going for this no dairy into your diet. Do you want to tell our, our listeners what you're thinking on this? Yeah. So this is what I'm thinking today. So catch me next week and I'll tell you how it goes. I'm really big into like, if I feel good. So as much as I'm making jokes about the clothes that I have that I don't, I can't ever imagine how I ever fit into those. But now I'm more like, do I feel good? Do I feel energized? Am I ready to go? Can I, I don't know when I eat carbs, I'm sure you all feel this way. You're just tired. Same thing with dairy. And I'm a big, I'm like the cheese monster. I'll go in my fridge and my dog loves cheese. So I go over and give Hank some cheese and then it's like a treat for myself. And I can't do that anymore. I need to stop doing that. So I'm going to try and cut out cheese and I don't really have anything else that's dairy, to be honest. I don't drink milk, so that'll be good. Well, I can't wait until next week to get an update on this, but Kate, let's be honest. You know, for a fact that there are people that are healthy humans that work out, they eat right. And they probably are listening to our podcast and they're mortified right now, listening to the choices that we are making the challenges that we have with weight loss. And I bet that they want to help us, but sometimes we don't necessarily want to be helped. We like to talk about it. We know Mm -hmm. it it goes back to some of the things that we've always spoken about in the podcast already. We know what we should be doing. We just aren't doing it, but maybe we're at a point right now, we're going to reflect and we're going to try to make some better decisions, which is why I went to this 80 calorie wine instead of cracking open a blue moon this morning. Yeah, I do agree. And you know what else I agree about this is that I love that we can talk about these struggles because they are real. And whether you're listening today or in a week, all of you out there at some point in time have gotten something and been like, Ooh, this tastes really good, but I don't know if I should be eating this right now. That doesn't happen to me at that time. (laughs) It happens to me like three months later. And then I start (laughs) thinking, wow, I really should stop ordering pizza every Friday night. Or my go-to drink of choice is six blue moons, which we all know has now equal to one loaf of bread. We're going to have a variety. We're going to make ourselves healthier so that we can be the best versions of ourselves. Isn't you know right? what this all, yeah. And you know what it really goes back to? It goes back to the idea of self-doubt and that we're always thinking, how can we be better criticizing ourselves? We are our own worst critics and our special guest today. She's going to talk about that and the plagues that she has in her own life 
when it comes to taking care of yourself professionally, personally. So I'm excited to hear some of her strategies and tips. I am too. And she makes a great point in her interview about humanizing or being a human to people that you work with. Because I think so often, especially in education, you're, you go to school and they teach you to be professional, be consistent, you know, always put on not like a front, but just remember that this is a job. You're the job. You're not the person you need to make sure that you're following through with all these different initiatives, especially in leadership, whether that's as a paraprofessional working with a child or a teacher or an assistant principal or a principal, you always have this level of professionalism that yes, you need to have, but it also doesn't hurt for people to see you as a human being and to humanize you as a person. I remember my first year as a principal, which was during the very beginning of the pandemic, and we had just started doing remote learning, which nobody in the planet has ever done before, by the way. And we were trying to organize what classes had looked like. And parents were rightfully so at the time upset because they didn't know what it would look like and how many teachers we had. And I remember I was reading through all these emails and calling back every single parent that wrote me an email. And I was sitting in my office and I was crying. And I had three teachers that walked into my office because I didn't lock my office door. It was just closed. And they came in and they saw me crying. And my initial gut reaction was to be like, oh my gosh, I'm not crying. I'm fine. (laughs) Everything is fine. Get out of my office. Like I'll be there in two seconds. And after a while, it was the next day I had gone to the three ladies that had walked in my office and they said, do you know how great it was to see you cry? And I thought, what kind of response is that? And they said, not in a bad way, but we're just so glad to see a human side to somebody because so often people get those emails or those things and they just you know, kind of blow it off and we'll figure it out, which I do to an extent, but they were like, it's so nice to see a real human being in certain situations like this, because they're like, we get emails from parents or things and it makes us upset. And then we feel like, are we being a baby? Is this not how we're supposed to handle it? Or am I not supposed to have feelings because this is just my job and not my life. So I think that our speaker today talks a lot about that. And it was so nice to hear because for so long, I like probably a lot of people were trying to hide those things. Like, I'm not upset. This doesn't bother me. <laughs> like, we'll figure this out. Courtney, you've probably had those times. I've had so many of those times. I was sitting here reflecting on all of those times that I have had. And when I, I do think that we want to protect ourselves, but I also think that for many of us, myself included, a lot of times our job and our work becomes our identity. Mm-hmm. It is who we are. And it's hard to separate those two things. We spend more time at work often than we do at home. And we try to find a better work-life blend. But I was hearing you and listening to you tell that story. And I thought, I remember the day that I found out I was going to have to put my dog down, Winston, mm-hmm. RIP Winston. Winston was my first baby, love of my life. And I will never forget that the vet called me when I was a superintendent. And I sat in my office and I sobbed like I've never cried before, knowing that in three hours that I was going to have to pick him up and take him to have him put down. And I will never forget the knock on the door. And I thought, I can't turn around because I'm hysterical. Mm -hmm. I'm legitimately hysterical in my office. And I didn't want anyone anyone to know. And I swiveled the chair around and I remember like it was yesterday, Johnny Billingsley was outside of my door looking at me and he's like, are you okay? 
well, I was not okay. And I opened the door and he hugged me and he was kind. And I told him my dog's dying and I have to go put him down. And Johnny is an animal lover like I am, but that dog was a family member and I was devastated. I, I mean, I, I can remember it like it was yesterday. I've not had a dog since, but I remember thinking I'm the superintendent. I can't let people see me like this because it wasn't even work-related. It was my dog. Some people understand that if you're out there and you're an animal lover and um, some people aren't, but this was really, really important to me. But I remember thinking, what are people going to think about me? But after that, and you know, every Institute day, I used to talk about being a mom because I needed people to see me as a human and talking about my children. I think that Sarah uh, Bocek, who is going to be on with us today, every time I've ever watched her present, she has a humanistic point of view and she brings many things back and gives examples about her own children, which you will hear her do today. So she, I, I loved interviewing her. And the reason is because she brought light to many of the things that we do talk about that we like to protect ourselves. And you and I both um, were human. And I think a lot of people who don't personally know us might see us as a title. And that is not who we are. We, we, it's like what Ellen said about you. You're human, Kate. You cry. You second guess yourself. I do the exact same thing. Um, and the older I get, the, <laughs> the more that it comes to light too. So yeah, I think today's going to be a, a great episode. So with that, let's move into a connection section. Kate, we actually have people writing into this podcast. I, it's wild to me, unsupervised leadership at yahoo.com. I said to Kate, do we have any emails? We had so many emails, you guys, thank you for listening to us. Um, this has been a passion project for us. People are writing in with questions, but they're writing in with support. They're writing in with suggestions And they're also writing in about some impact that we might be having on other people's lives. Kate, take it away. Tell us what's in there today. So like Courtney said, we made this email account just to be able to connect with the seven people that were listening. We're we're a little bit above seven now, but it's interesting because we've gotten some really inspiring messages from all kinds of people, people that we've never met before, some people that know us directly, but we got one this past week from someone. I'm going to let them remain anonymous. And it says, I'm loving the unsupervised leadership podcast. I have felt like I'm too much in the educational environments, which I've lived and worked like a crazy person dancing on a hill alone while everyone else just watches. Even had one super tell another super who hired me that I often need to be put into a box. I'm a big fan of Adam. Welcome. Use the kids deserve it as a building wide theme. When I first became a principal to make a clear path for common goals as schools, I enjoy a good beverage with a slice of orange. We really support that. I've moved out of the principal position after 10 years into a curriculum position. It was my goal and I had to push hard to get the full-time position established, but now I have lost my community. Listening to your podcast as well as others keeps me intellectually engaged and excited. I'd like to think I'm an F4 leader, but being the only woman in the room stepped in historical tradition is challenging. Thanks for the opportunity to have a seat at your table. I'm forever grateful and just wanted to say thank you. Wow. She's got a seat at our table every single week whoever that is, you have a seat at our table. Thank you for writing in. Thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for telling your story. I think that's what we really have have made it our mission that we want to do. Talk to us about your stories. 
put it out there. The idea of being too much. Oh, you're too much. You're a bit much. I think I I have always struggled with that because who, you know, I I don't like it when we're put into a, a specific lane and shout out to her for having the courage to write in, talk about that and share her story. What do you think about it, Kate? Couldn't agree more. I, I feel grateful that she's listening to this podcast and in some realm, hopefully is making her laugh just like others, but also giving people the confidence or that second push or nudge that you can go and do something that you want to do. And it doesn't matter if somebody thinks you're too loud or you're too crazy or you're too funny, or you humanize things too much. Um, because that's the kind of people that I think really make the way for others. We talked a lot about that with Sarah Bocek today about, We've done so much so fast and so for women in education in general that we need to continue doing that. And not just women, everybody in education, anyone who wants to make an impact or change how education is done for people, which I think the pandemic has helped kind of start those conversations. But I also think we have a lot of work to do in terms of what that can look like and how we lift each other up and how we recognize what what we're doing. So I love that. I loved her email. I thought it was very kind. Someone's listening. Yeah. We said we wanted one. (laughs) We've got one. Yeah, we have one, which is great. Yeah. We know that she is listening. And so let's go ahead and transition. We have a special guest for you today. We have Sarah Bocek. Sarah is an attorney. She owns a law firm and she is, Kate has described her as a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. She truly is. She's also a friend She's a colleague and she's a sister. She's a sorority sister for me. We had amazing times together in college, but what I'm really enjoying is seeing her professional journey and the things that she has done. She's made some very courageous leaps and decisions in her life professionally that she's going to share with us today. And so before we transition into her, we are also going to have a quick sparkle spotlight today with our sparkle sister Bhavna Sharma Lewis. So let's get to that and enjoy our episode with Sarah Bocek. Hi everybody. This is Bhavna Sharma Lewis with your sparkle spotlight. Today's message is talk or connect with someone who makes you laugh every day. Why? This helps you be the best version of yourself. Cheers. Until next time. Good morning again, everyone. This is our official interview with Sarah Bocek. We are so excited to have Sarah with us here today. A fun fact about Sarah. You don't probably don't know this, Kate, but Sarah and I went to college together. We were sorority sisters. Oh, I didn't know that. This is true. We aren't talking anything about that today, though, are we? No, we aren't. We're going to keep it really, really professional, but I have great love and respect for Sarah Bocek, not only for the work that she does as an attorney, but she also used to work for IASA, which is something that we're going to talk to her about because I want to get her take on some of the transitions, life transitions. And Sarah is a good human. She's a great human. Um, She really would give anybody anything at any time if they needed it, because she's just generous and genuine and kind. Sarah, welcome to Unsupervised Leadership. This is so fun. I cannot wait to be unsupervised. 
Well, and mm-hmm. we know, we know this, and we also know that you do a lot of interviews and let's be honest, this is the most important interview that you will have all week long. I mean, I'm, this podcast is famous and I can't wait to be like part, like one small part of it. Like when it goes completely 100% international and global, I'll be like, remember when oh. I was on it. Thank you. Brent said that he was worried that we were going to get our own show out of this. And so you, you listen. get a show. If you get a show, can I like be a guest speaker? Like, you know, yes. like, they have that <laughs> guest person that's like always back to give commentary on something like that. Yes. What I want to do. Mm-hmm. yes. Yeah. We, of course, we would love to have you. Let's turn it over to you. Tell us about yourself in five words, five words. And most importantly, what's your favorite drink? Let, let, I'll start with my favorite drink. <laughs> okay. I love a good captain and Coke. I do a tall Coke with one shot of captain. There is nothing better than a Coca-Cola. And I do not do that diet. I try to do Coke zero because who didn't eat their weight in COVID. I do love a good captain and Coke uh, without a doubt. Like, I think I've been with you when you've had a double. I'm not going to lie. Maybe that was back in the day. That if wasn't I your had- sorority. Oh, okay. <laughs> If I had bad days, like sometimes I'll just be like, you can just put two in there. But yeah, I'm a big fan. The problem is, is when I turned 40 though, I will tell you, I started waking up in the middle of the night. So if you drink too many of them, you wake up and your heart is racing and it's three in the morning and you're like, well, that was stupid. I had like maybe seven and maybe shouldn't drink seven Coca-Colas before. As you notice, I'm not saying Coke because I don't want anyone to misinterpret that I, you know what I mean? (laughs) Correct. And we appreciate this good life lesson too yeah. about drinking a lot of caffeine before we go to bed. Thank you. Should not. There it is. So five words to describe me. That probably changes in a lot of times in my life. But right now I would say number one is mom. I'm a mom to three beautiful kiddos and one big fat dog, chocolate lab. I would say another word to describe me is self-reflective. I hope people would say I'm fun. I think I'm fun. My fourth word would be empathetic. I love people and I love to meet them where they're at. Or the fifth word would be, I don't know. I've never seen Sarah Bocek at a loss for words. I don't like to talk about myself. So that's probably it. I would say compassionate. Like I, and that goes along with empathy too. But I think when you've had the trials and tribulations that I have unfortunately had to go through as a, as a kiddo, I think you would do just about anything to make sure that people don't have to do that. Right. I Mm -hmm. adversity is something I am not completely free from. And I think you only become better. And so sometimes the biggest gift out of tragedy and bad things happening is you get to be stronger because of it. So um, compassion, like, I don't want this to be like Debbie Downer here, but I think that would probably like, you know, sum that up. Let's go to three. Right. Yeah, you are fun. And (laughs) for those of you that don't know, Sarah, she is an absolute powerhouse. Mm. She is, we forgot to add that in there. Like we should have given her own little five word intro. Yeah. She is so intelligent. You can ask her anything about law, especially in education, which brings us to our next question about Sarah. So she has an interesting career path basically that we really want to talk about. So at what point in your life did you decide to open your own firm and what drove that decision for you? I would love to tell you it was some like magical moment. There were things that definitely led it up to it, but Darcy and I, so that's my the part, uh, part I've, I've, there's six of us that, you know, are part of the firm, but two named partners. So Darcy 
And I literally had a cocktail moment, you know, Tom Cruise cocktail, you know, draw it out on a napkin. Like that's a true story. And it really sucks as I hope really, when we go through this, I'm going to find that napkin someday. I've not, I have not found it. I know it's somewhere, but it was like, if you could dream up what like a firm to create, what would that look like? And we did that about seven or eight years ago. Like, and it was really a pipe dream. It was out to dinner. She was very happy where she was. I, I mean, you, you will not find anyone and I don't care. I will, I'll wrestle Courtney to the ground um, in a good way, but no one who loves ISA more than me and loved my time there. So it was one of those really just a cocktail pipe dream. Then it came, I, I had some really bad cases in 2018, 19, Darcy had made her way. Um, she had decided to go for it. We were in the middle of evidence-based funding and passing that the timing was not good for me when she initially went, but I had a really bad case in the suburbs where I thought a board of education, it was a very split board. It was a superintendent ended up losing their job, but had immense community support. And it was at that moment, I felt this like compelling moment that maybe my work, because I truly believe you have to, you work and you get to a point where you've made your mark and you have to know that and move on. And I feel like I had gotten there And in that moment when I couldn't get the board to act, even sort of, I think what I would classify as a little bit like maybe reasonable, right? Like it was just a really bad dynamic. It kind of felt this urging of like, maybe it was time to go to the other side. And I don't think there's sides, but it was time to maybe leave that ISA time behind. And I had this opportunity and Darcy was like, are you ready? And I was like, I am. And I didn't know COVID was coming. And I think it would have been pretty impossible for me to do my job uh, with my three kiddos if I was still the general counsel at ISA, just with what was needed at that time. So it was almost like maybe a higher being, God, whatever you believe in, was kind of pushing me to be like, you're going to need to be home and the time is right. And that kind of, I mean, and then it just, it like ballooned. We're the only primarily women-owned firm. We are the first major shakeup in 20 some years into the law firms. I like to say, and I don't want to offend anyone, but, and some of these people are like my dearest mentors, but like we're that next generation of people who have broken off and really disrupted the field in what I hope is a good way of doing it different. Client centric. When I was at IESA, we had times where I just think it got very top heavy and now we're sort of. We want to be part of people's teams, but just have the legal background. Like, I don't want to be known as like, oh, here comes the school attorney. <laughs> I want to be known like, here comes my teammate. And my teammate just happens to have the law that you, that's their expertise. Cause I'm not going to pretend I'm an expert, expert in curriculum or instruction or, you know, leading a school or any, that's, that's crazy talk. Like that's not my background. I love a good crisis. So like, I'm, you know, love good, good crisis manager, but that's usually from really strong leaders who have had to overcome adversity. They feel better in crisis. Right. And so I don't pretend to be that expert of schools. Now I would love that people would call me an expert in school law, but I'm not an expert in running schools. And that's why you just have to have, you have to assemble the right team. Sarah, take us back to when you did work for IASA and I was a superintendent at the time and you and I engaged in a conversation about women in leadership, which then led us to a meeting with Dr. Clark. And he spoke about that meeting when he was interviewed on the podcast, but I want people to know that 
you were also the impetus of being able to launch the IASA Superwomen Initiative, and you do so much work and you do talk about women in leadership. What would you say, in your view, are the greatest challenges facing women in leadership? What do you see? Hands down, we're our own worst enemy. Um, we are our absolute, I mean, and women do women, no small favors. So let's just start there too. But we are our own worst enemies and our critics and our inner voices need to be a lot more positive than they are. I shouldn't have to stumble over five words to explain myself, but I think we tend to want other people to shine. We don't give ourselves the credit that's deserved. I don't think we set healthy boundaries when it comes to professionalism or our professional work lives, I think that our kids definitely get sacrificed through the process because we want to do it better and faster and stronger. And we can do this. And I can be nine months pregnant and become a superintendent. And I can be nine months pregnant and drive and change my tire on the side of the road, right? Like I legitimately changed a tire at nine months on the side of the road, four hours from home. That's stupid. But I did it, right? Because it's like, I can't. Nobody is going to define that. I'll tell you like Dr. Clark, there is not anyone in this world who doesn't know how I feel about him. And he has been my greatest supporter and he is an amazing boss and an amazing human being level five leader, but he took a chance. When I was hired at IASA, I was a whippersnapper. I'd only had five years under my belt and was walking into one of the best statewide associations as their general counsel lead, someone who had gone before me, who people held in the highest regard. That is hard. Like when you follow those footsteps and I wanted, I mean, I had a brand new baby at home. Ainsley was, she's now 15, if you can believe it, but like Ainsley was literally only five months old when I took the job and she went with me a ton and I would drop her off at my mom's but there was not a meeting I wasn't going to be at. There wasn't a thing I wasn't going to do. It didn't matter if she was sick. I would literally drive in the middle of the night, take her to the doctor at 8 a.m. and drive right back to Springfield for a noon meeting. I did that more. You know, I can remember driving home and Brent was like, what are you doing? And I was like, she's going to school for the first day tomorrow and I will pack her lunch. There will be a note from her mom, not her nanny, not her dad, but there will be like I'll get teared up. Right. But there will be no, and it was like four in the morning and I was driving through, you know, but with that is downsides. I can remember locking myself in four rooms deep while she was screaming for me. And I was like trying to take a call from superintendents and saying, and I would never, you know, and she's good. And they're, the kids are grown from that and they're really good and adaptable. Dang it. Like we've got it wrong in some ways. Like we've got to try to fix that for the next generation of leaders. Us, like us people who have kind of There's already people who have blazed the trails, but I sort of feel like we're on cleanup. We have those people like Vicki Tabber and Paula Hawley and all those just amazing Robertson, Diane Robertson, Kathy Robbins, like these people who, I mean, they were superintendents when there were no women superintendents. They were women leaders when there were no women leaders. And I feel like they blazed those trails and we're sort of on, I don't want to think of like the horse scoopers, right? Like we're on the, we're on the cleanup here because they blaze, they blaze those trails, but we have to actually clear the path. And I don't know if we're doing a good job of that yet, but I think we're on our way. That was a really long answer to the question, but that's, that's typical, Sarah. So, you no, know. it's no. good. And it actually leads exactly into Kate's next question for you. Yeah. I mean, thinking about all those things being unapologetic or unsupervised kind of is what our motto is now. Don't be afraid to ask for help when you need it and have a strong support system around you. And don't think you have to compete, you know, with every man in the room, 
more or less like, how do you build a team of people around you that lift you up and give you good advice and give you that support? So based on that, what's the best advice you've ever been given? And what's the best advice you can give to educators right now? Best advice I ever got for my, I was very, very close to my grandfather. And when I was a senior in high school, he's now passed, but I was a senior in high school. He picked me up one day, like at the end I had graduated and he picked me up and he's like, you want to go for a ride? And I was like, yeah, sure. This is awesome. Right. And he's like, I don't have a present for you, but I need you to hear me. And I said, yeah, like I was ready for it. And he's like, I'm going to give you two pieces. He's like, you will never have to remember what you say if you never lie. And I want you to remember that always. You will never, ever have to justify your, your words or your thoughts if you do not, if, if you tell the truth, your truth, whatever that truth may be. And the second piece was, he's like, Sarah, your future is bright. Like I can see it. You, you will do things that we can't imagine at this point, but I need you to know that it's not always what you know, it's who, you know, Mm -hmm. and you have to be able to live in both worlds. It is very important that you, you, you know what, you know, but you also have to know who will help you get there. And so it's both, it's not, it's not, it's not one or the other. It's that you have, those have to work together. And it's funny because I have literally used that forever. Like that was when I was 18. I'm now 44 and um, <laughs> soon to be 45, but <laughs> I will, I mean, it has been imprinted in, in, in my life. The best advice I could give educators at this point is to be vulnerable in your leadership, meaning that people, the biggest failure I think of my existence at IESA is I, I, I can give you a laundry list of what I think were really cool things I got to do. There were two big ones that I, two big things I didn't get done. One I, I won't <laughs> is my own, but the second is I don't think I was able to humanize the superintendency. While I don't think that's my own job, I think I could have created pathways for superintendents to feel better to do that since I was their legal protection or their protector is that they have to humanize who they are, especially now people are so mean and so cruel and so behind social media is so amazing yet so cruel at the same time. If we don't humanize the profession, my fear is the pendulum will swing so are on the cynical side or the fearful side or the side where you button up and you put those silos so far that people won't get in. And I think we have to fight that. I think we have to show people. I think it's okay for women leaders to say, you know what, I can't have that board meeting on that night because of my daughter's first curriculum night. And I think most board members are actually totally cool with it, but we don't give our permission to be human. I have to have this and I have to do that and I have to do that and I have to put everything I have in front of myself. And when doing that, you lose yourself. And I have lost myself more than once in this process. And you tend to hit bottom you only hit bottom when you like have hit bottom and you're like, well, that sucks. Totally take my own advice. But I think it would be to be vulnerable to lead and to, to let people understand that you're not the stoic person who people can just fling things at for fun. You are real and you are human while you have chosen to give your life's work to public service. That doesn't mean that you've become the whipping post for everybody and everybody who's had a bad day. And I think there's a fine line there, but I definitely think leading with authenticity and 
vulnerability and, you know, Brene Brown's work and Glennon Doyle, Glennon Doyle's work, all those, those, that's powerful. And I think when people do that, they actually go further. I think it's when we spend so much time protecting our true selves that we get stuck. And I think every time my life has sort of fallen apart is when I think that I'm invincible to that. It is really awesome from the cheap seats to say to people like, be authentic, be vulnerable, be this, be that, you can do it. And then all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you're like, "Mm mm-hmm. You just got a big old wallop of self-reality, you know, some reality just yeah. you. And I think that's where we become even, it's like a phoenix. Sometimes you have to go to absolute ashes to rise again. And I think there's so many things we could do to make sure people don't do that. If we, if we had those conversations before, every superintendent I had that ended up losing their job, which I, I have a list in my head. I, I'm one of those people, right? I want to bat a thousand. I don't want to bat 500. I don't want to bat seven. I don't want to bat 995, even though that's amazing. I want to bat. I'm not even sure we're using the right correlation, but that's. <laughs> we're it. with you. We're like, yeah, that sounds right. We're into it. I, that's even, you can even hear it in my own voice. Like I'm a perfectionist who sometimes I will tell you I'm a recovering perfectionist. And sometimes I will tell you I am addicted to it and not a recovering. I am an addict to it. And I wish we could live in both worlds. And I think that's, that's sort of that cleanup that we have to do is to be able, I think it would be shocking to people to hear me be this vulnerable is that I've had so many people in my life who've come up to me and said things like, I wish I could do what you do. Mm -hmm. I wish I could be as strong as you are. Mm -hmm. I wish I could, I wish I could talk like you do in front of all these groups. And I will literally get in my car and I've even called Courtney on this and been like, what a fraud, right? Like I don't, yes, yes. But that doesn't mean even the strongest leader doesn't have moments of, do you think they liked that? (laughs) Do you think I said it right? Do you think I looked okay? I'm sitting on a Ted talk. I have a Ted talk that I have not, it's published and you could try to go find it. Think about that. I've done it. I've done, that was my biggest checklist and I haven't put it out in the world. Come on, Sarah, you know, but that's what I'm saying. Sometimes we have to lead and lead with who we are. And sometimes that's not the best picture. Well, right? I've watched the Ted talk and it is fantastic. Yeah. And you do need to put it out there and you are bringing to light so many things that we love to address on this podcast, self-doubt, mm-hmm. the plague of perfectionism how we all are stressing out about that. And I don't know that that's always specific to women. Certainly men can relate to that. And just the challenges of leadership. We want to do a good job. We want to be good for those that we serve, but it also can just take everything out of us. And so as we begin to close out today, Sarah, we believe you are an F4 leader. Yes, you are fabulous and fun and fierce and female. And so what we're going to do now is ask you, Do you have any favorite F4 leaders that you'd like to give a shout out to on the podcast? I do. I'll go fast. I love what's going on in Lake Bluff and Lake Forest right now with Matt Montgomery. He's new to the state and Lisa Lee, who's superintendent of Lake Bluff. I think they're doing some really cool work. And this is not to offend anyone if I don't say, you know, Lori Wilcox, she is one of those really amazing leaders. If you ever get a chance to talk with her, she's at Epikissic 102. I, I mean, everybody loves a good Jen Garrison. I mean, she's so bold and she's so, she is so deep in her convictions and that is amazing to watch. 
I'm going to give a shout out to like our two associates at the firm, Cassie Black and Elizabeth Kelly. Elizabeth Kelly is the daughter of a superintendent, which is super hard for you not, you guys know that. One of the best researchers, younger in the field, but just an outstanding attorney. There are times she comes in and I'm like, man, she is so much better than me. And the same with Cassie Black. Like Cassie Black spent 17 years at Mount, you know, at different school districts, but ended her career as an assistant superintendent. And she put herself through law school while she was an administrator. And now she's practicing school law. I think that's super cool. God, you can't get out of Brent Clark. I mean, he, he, he helped me in ways, meaning he opened up doors for me to be able to have this amazing professional life. He's a mentor for life. My sister, she's a guidance counselor at PBL, junior high guidance counselor who has dedicated her whole life. I've told her multiple times, be a principal, climb up that ladder. She's like, I love, nope, I'm here for the kids and not that the administrators aren't, but like, she's like, I don't want to do anything different. I think my kids are leaders and that's where Ainsley is 15 now. And it's a joke in the field, but they are all attached to something school-wise. Ainsley's 15 and she is so amazing. Her academic capstone project in junior high was the the evolution of the gender equality after the suffrage movement to um, to present day. So that was amazing to watch her. Jack is the kindest. He's my Senate bill 315 baby. So if you ever wonder how long we've had the new evaluation system, he's getting ready to turn 13. So kind and is going to lead the world in, in compassion and empathy. And, and then there's the cleanup and Annie Grace is the Senate bill seven baby. And she just turned 10. She is everything. I'm not, she is crazy independent in a way that uh, will knock your socks off. So the future is so incredibly Right. So I will leave you with those three kiddos as the leaders to watch. And so like, this is so fun. It went really fast, but it did go really fast. And we want to say thank you because we know that people are tuning in today just to hear Sarah Bocek. And (laughs) one of the things is true. Yes. She is a powerhouse attorney. She is a personal friend. She is a colleague. She's a great woman. She is a great leader. She's kind, she's genuine. And Sarah Bocek has feelings too. And so that's one of the things that she understands is the importance of relationships, which is something that we love to talk about on this podcast. So with that, Kate, I'm going to turn it over to you so that you could sign us off for the day and look forward to what we have coming up next. All right, everyone. So as Courtney said, we are so fortunate to have Sarah here. She has imparted some great knowledge on us. She is a powerhouse. You should follow her on Twitter if you don't already. And please go look at her TED Talk because since she's not going to promote herself, we're going to promote her because we've both seen it and it's fantastic. So give it a look. Shout us out on Twitter afterwards at F4 Leaders and Unsupervised Leadership because if we're not going to do it for each other, who's going to do it for us? And we can't wait to see you all Next week, next Saturday, we have a special guest. And this time we're going to keep it anonymous because we're going to give you some hints throughout Twitter and see if you can guess who it is because we've been giving away too much information in these, you know, 45 minute snippets. And as soon as you shout out, you watched Sarah's TED talk, we might tell you who it is. Oh, I love and that. You know and you know what I'm going to lead it is that like, if it wasn't for you guys, I don't know if anyone actually tells you guys that you're the F4 leaders, right? Like who? This is so cool. Like, I wish you would have been like, will you podcast with me? I would have been like, I want to be the third person. But (laughs) if you guys don't know Courtney and Kate, like I, you guys are missing out. So um, this is so cool. And I'm so honored. And I just think you guys are the best. And I think that we can do no wrong if we're going to lead people like you. So 
Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thank you. We'll take this compliment. And with that, we'll see everybody next week. Yep. Bye.